right. Um, you're going to Miami? Yeah, I leave for four days. Are you excited Sunday. about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm vaccinated, yeah. bro. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I know. Right, I'm mask off. Right, like, you know, I'm coming out of my shell. CDC says one can do it. Here's the thing about that: is that I, you know, people who you know to be reliable, sure, you can then say, okay, yeah, we can be maskless. But then all the other people who were maskless anyway now have a free pass. So that's what I well, worry about. Well, what this is saying is really simple. It's saying. If anyone that's a normal person <laughs> that like cares about other people, right? We expect, you know, you can take your mask off, right? It's not really talking about the dirtbags that are going to take their mask off and then still kill grandma or yeah. someone in the family. Yeah. And at this point, I just don't. I don't care about those people anymore. <laughs> I don't. I'm not running for public office. I don't need to. I don't need to pretend. They're 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 the weak link. Yeah, they've done enough to show that they don't care about others. So it's hard to reciprocate. I mean, you kind well, of. I'll walk it back. Yeah, I'll walk you it have back to. A little you bit. have to. I'll yeah. walk it back a tiny bit. Yeah. I do think there are some cases where people's mistrust in medicine is valid, mm -hmm. but not white people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I have no patience for white Fair people enough. not taking vaccinations. Yeah. I have none. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to talk to you. This is as bad as the people that were saying, you know, the uh, polio vax was creating autism. You're, right. You are literally in the same boat as right. those people. Right. You're, you're a quack. Yeah. Other uh, others who have been mistreated <laughs> since yeah. they were brought here yeah. illegally, experimented. I'll yeah. give those. Pe I will give people passes that have a history that, of that have the government fucking with them. Well, but that's not skepticism. the majority of white people in this country. I'm sorry. Yeah. Everyone, if every single white person got the vaccination, we would reach herd immunity. And it's your responsibility to minorities. That's, that's my view. I can get them bored by that. Yeah, definitely. You're racist. If you're white and don't get the vaccine. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I there believe you go. That. There you go. Yeah. I believe it. It's an yeah. extension of racism. Right. Right. Was that? I'm sure this is not what we're talking about today, but I it's not. It's not. It was it's been on my mind just because it's in the news. Well, let me just say this actually, yeah. because why not? I was. Um, I made some friends down here. This this really cool couple, and the guy's wife who I made friends with is an ER doctor in in the the Louisiana area. And we were just talking about it, and I just said, like, the end, what do you think about these? The people are afraid to get the vaccination. She's like, I just can't. I can't talk to these people. Like, it, it makes me so angry because. If you went, were sick for four days and weren't eating and had stomach issues and you came in and I told you you had cancer, you would say, put anything in me to right. save my life. Right. No questions asked. Yep. Knowing chemotherapy, knowing radiation is actually killing you. Mm -hmm. It could be the thing that kills you. You don't ask any questions. It's just save me. If, you, if you're having a heart attack and you rush to the hospital, you don't quickly say, wait, 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 what are you putting in me? It's save my life. So how dare you with this? Now you're questioning right. us. Now you're like afraid of us. And I just thought that was a phenomenal um, kind of way to describe the frustration of doctors. And it's like, wow, I never. There's a really good yeah, way to put yeah, it. Yeah, because it's completely irrationally selective, right? I mean, it's just I'll do this, but I won't do that. And but and it's coming right. from this weird. Um, political standpoint now yes. right that it's it's a stand 
right? Uh, that somehow it's 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 a form of resistance to you know government overreach or something like that, uh, which is being. I don't. I, this is a, a, a going to be a problem going forward because it's being continuously sort of cultivated by the right. So um, I was reading, and I, we're not going to be just talking about this, but <laughs> I was re I was reading some stuff on pandemics last week, and. A number of epidemiologists have been arguing that this is the kind of starter pandemic um, for you know the pandemics to mm -hmm. come, um, and that if if that Great. political view on science sort of you know maintains and and you know the, the right can sort of make hay out of it, that's a real problem. That's I mean that's that's a that's a that's, that's a like real an problem. existential problem. Well, here's what's going to happen when the next pandemic comes. I, people are just going to die. And that's like, that's what's going to happen. And there's no way around this. I mean, if you, you didn't learn to not trust, especially the GOP after Trump and Chris Christie are shoving anything <laughs> up their asses to save their lives. Well, then you're an idiot. I just like, I, you know what I mean? I don't, I'll just, I'll yeah. keep getting vaccinated when there's a new vaccination in six months or a year or whatever. Yeah. I'm not, I, I'm good. Put it in me because guess what? Yeah. I haven't gotten COVID yet. And I'm vaccinated and I've been on airplanes and I've been in restaurants and I'm, I get tested still because I work in TV and film and I don't have COVID. So yep. it works. All right. All right. Anyway, that's, that's our little uh, pre-show rant. Um, okay. So yeah, let's, let's get started today. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Okay. This is no politics at the dinner table. I'm Tony Biancasino. And I'm Amit Prakash. This week we're going to talk about the number one thing that I think is important in the news today or this week is, which is Palestine. Oof. Um, the Palestinian Israeli conflict is, you know, in the news again, um, should always be in the news, but is particularly in the news this week. So let's, let's just, let's go to it. All right. Okay. Yeah. How so, do you want to start this one? Well, yeah, well it's such a beast, right? Um, a, so I just want to, before we get started, I want to point out that um, we have a podcast uh, with Rashid Khalidi um, from mm. about three, four weeks ago um, called The Hundred Years War. And uh, I, I took that title from his most recent book, The Hundred Years War on Palestine. Um, and he's the greatest living historian of Palestine. Um, and in that podcast, he gives all of the historical context that one could want for a primer on understanding the nature of this conflict, um, and, and particularly its asymmetrical nature. Um, so I really encourage you if you want, if you want to learn the sort of the, the, the basic history and the sort of strategies of domination of the Israeli regime, um, that's the podcast to listen to, and I really encourage you to listen to uh, read his book. Um, that being said, uh, what's going on this week is reminiscent of what happened in 2014 when Israel um, attacked Gaza, uh, killed something like 2,500 people, um, hundreds of children included, and this week that's happening again. Um, what I think... What is surprising to the Israeli establishment um, is the the continuity 
and the amplitude of Palestinian resistance. Because we had just four years of Trump, Jared Kushner as the Middle East envoy, um, and, and Bibi Netanyahu um, in power. That toxic combination has basically made the settler, Israeli settler vision of, of Israel as, and, and Palestine is non-existent, right? The West Bank is not the West Bank, it's Judea and Samaria, as they call it, right? It's just one, you know, greater Israel. Um, that, that vision of sort of utter domination um, and dispossession was actually coming into view uh, through the policies, right? That, that sort of the... The statement uh, by the Trump administration that they're going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of of Israel, which basically means that any sort of mythical two-state solution, you know, is out the window. Um, that had happened, and there was open talk in the Israeli Knesset, which is their parliament, um, about outright annexation of the entirety of the West Bank. Um, before they at least pretended that they wanted to have a two-state solution and they were going to trade land for peace and et cetera. Uh, even, it was all sort of false, but, but at least they, they had that sort of fake talk to the world. Um, that was all gone, right? And I think what's happened is that Netanyahu uh, and his coalition government basically thought that the Palestinians have finally been defeated and, 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 there's been many iterations of that statement by Israeli leaders, uh, going back to Golda Meir, who said there's no such thing as a Palestinian. Uh, they don't exist. Um, and uh, all the way through that, you know, um, it would Barack who said that, you know, the Palestinians are defeated people. They must understand this, uh, so on and so forth. Um, and what we have right now is resistance to a very sort of open Israeli strategy of control, which is spatial fragmentation of the Palestinian people. Um, you know, their, their communities are not connected. They have to go through checkpoints. Um, effectively, the same system that was set up in the, the Bantustan system, the homeland system of South Africa, that where you have internal passes uh, and military checkpoints to go from here to there, from work, school, et cetera. Entire, the entire social life is sort of governed by this spatial uh, separation and segregation. And yet, despite that, there's this massive solidarity between Palestinians in East Jerusalem, Gaza, and the West Bank, and they're all rising up together uh, and starting. The spark was what was going on in East Jerusalem, but now it's sort of spread. Um, and I think that's what the, the big, that's the difference right now is that there's a big shock that, you know, Israel thought, oh, we finally, you know, we won. <laughs> we, we've always had a very compliant, um, great power patron, whether it was the UK or the US. Uh, and now we've, we've basically just run roughshod over them, right? And we're unstoppable. And the, <laughs> the Palestinian people have said otherwise now, right? They're, they're, they're rising up against this. I wonder, I'm sure you've been reading about this. I wonder what your take is on how the American press is covering it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start off first by kind of just pointing out I don't have the historical acumen to properly, uh, you know, have a very strong opinion on the situation. I'll pick it up from where I am, which is now and kind of reading a bit up on it. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm not coming into this with no knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, 
even though the Palestinians are up, there's an uprising. There's there's no there's no um, there's no way they can defeat the Israeli iron military, right? There's this is this could be over very quickly if if Israel wanted this to be. Um, so they're they're already at a huge disadvantage. They don't have a military to speak of. They have you know basically smuggled rockets and whatever they can get to defend themselves, which is they're already starting off. You know. In, in, with two hands tied behind their back. Um, I don't... So your original question is the, the media. I think the media is handling this kind of like... What it feels like to me, the comparison is um, it's very much like the, the the beginnings of the defund the police movement where you couldn't... For a while there, you couldn't really say anything about cops, right? You can't really say anything about the military. It's always like... It's always spun that you're talking shit about soldiers. Uh, it was always that you're talking shit about cops, good police. It's There was always this off limits, and now we're kind of past that a bit. Even though, if you look at the New York City mayor race, they're very tiptoeing around defund the police. The, the, the Israeli government and, and the military there, it, it just feels like there's a direct parallel, right? Like... We love Jews. I love the Israeli people. I've been there two times. Like I've, I, I'm, and, a, and a lot of the people there, especially in Tel Aviv, aren't into this. I promise you. I've t- I talked to people who are like the Palestinians need independence. They need a home. Like there's there 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 is compassion, especially among the let's call it Tel Aviv Brooklyn hipster mm. progressives in Israel. It's sure. it's a real thing and it does exist. That doesn't get any play. Um, but there's this like, because in you know what the Jews went through with Hitler and the exterminating of their people, there's kind of like this free pass, right? Where like we always had to be reminded about that, which was horrible and tragic, and that's why there was a world war and we defended them and we stick by them. But at what point is it okay to criticize? a wrongdoing of a people without criticizing a people, right? That's where we're getting lost. It's like to say what Israel's doing is actually disgusting is, is, is spun into you're against Jews. And that's not, that's, that's not the same thing. You can, you can be, you can be pro, you can be anti-police brutality, but not anti-cop, right? Like I, of course there's good cops. Of course there's good cops, but that's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about, um, an injustice that's going on in our country. And it feels very similar to me, like the way the cops attack the Black Lives Matter protesters. And it's like, you're watching it and you're like, this is fucked up, right? <laughs> Meanwhile, when white people literally storm the Capitol, there's no, they're, they're sitting around whistling and walking around in circles. And it just feels to me like there's this parallel where there are certain things, especially the media is so afraid to talk about. like. If you read any headline, this is including NPR, dude. NPR, which I I feel like for the most part does a very good job of like trying to be partisan. Even their headlines are always like Jews and Arabs uh, clashing at the. It's always just so misleading. Like what's going on right now is the Israeli army is actively evicting Arabs, Palestinian Arabs from their homes because they've claimed it as their territory. That's the basis of what's going on. So 
when the Palestinians are fighting back, wouldn't you? Isn't that the whole Second Amendment argument in this country? That like, that's why we want our guns, for the government to take our home. Yeah, they're fighting back. It's, it's okay to say, and, and by the way, it's Netanyahu. Netanyahu is Trump. He's a pig. He's gross. And that's not, again, that's not saying anything about Jews or Israel. That's saying your leader's a piece of shit. Just like I can sit here and say Trump's a piece of shit. Just like I can say Vladimir Putin's a piece of shit. I'm sorry. Like, we have to get past... We have to get past this point where criticizing Israel policy is criticizing Jews. Yeah. They're not the same. I, I think that's a really good point. And um, it's a hard point to make uh, because Israel has this sort of very ingenious national identity where the argument is, and, and especially now since the, um, the, the nationality law where they defined um, Israel as a Jewish state, right, which, which, which creates a sort of ethno-religious basis for, uh, you know, political attachment, right? So, and there's a, you know, a very large Arab, Muslim, and Christian minority who are Israeli citizens, and what does that make them, right? So, so, so now that they've sort of, and that's always been sort of looming, it's always been sort of there, but now, you know, again, it's with the encouragement of the Trump administration that, um, the Israeli, I think, sort of original vision. It's not Netanyahu is the most sort of snarling, open version of this, but that there's always been a soft version of this as well. Um, that you know, Israel is a Jewish state first and foremost, uh, and then other things. Maybe it's liberal and democratic second, but first of all, it's it's a it's a Jewish state. And so, one of the things there that's a problem is that if it if it is the case that Israel is a Jewish state, then to be anti-Zionist is then it becomes anti-Jewish, right? So it's this rhetorical strategy where you can only end up being anti-Jewish because Israel has defined itself um, as through Jewishness, right? Um, and But on the other hand, they're also make all these sort of arguments about where this sort of, you know, secular democracy that is a sort of... Uh, bastion of freedom in the Middle East surrounded by, you know, oriental despots and stuff like that, right? So they, they, they've got this sort of double game. So that's that's the, the, the big problem. I think um, the gig is up in some ways in terms of that strategy, that especially the younger generation of, of also American Jews um, who are seeing through that um, as, for, as for what it is, which is an ideology, to, as ideological cover for domination. Um, the point about you know NPR, the let's call it the mainstream liberal press in the United States, um, puts the the thumb on the scales in terms of uh, covering this all the time, um, and you know describing a clash between the Israeli defense forces and Palestinian rock throwers as a clash is just absurd, right? Um, that that. Even even these, you know, rockets and stuff like that that sometimes do some damage, often very little. These are desperation. These are haymaking punches. If you're being attacked by by a, by a, by actually, this would be this the, the the equivalent to you're at a bar and a UFC fighter is trying to fight you and you can't get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to swing. It's probably not going to do much. Yeah. You might maybe connect and give him a black eye, but you're going to lose. 
that's what this is. This is this is not a clash. This is a uh, an, a, a desperate fight for um, life, for acknowledgement. I mean, and it just goes to like my my frustration with um, just our country, right? Like how how we decide what is important to us in terms of social justice. It's really, it's the defeating part of also the liberal in this country weakness. Um, if this were China evicting Muslims, if this were Russia evicting, just name it, anything, Chinese people, whatever, anywhere else in the world, if there were a super power killing and bombing and evicting every celebrity, Every politician would be posting the Palestinian flag. Not, it's not really happening. And that, it's part of why you, you can never be confident that the Democrat liberals in this country ever will remain in power. There's just, there's no core foundation of progressiveness in the mainstream democratic uh, round table. Yeah, I mean, or, or alternatively, they'll always be in power because there's such a consensus even amongst the right and the left on, um, you know, categorical support of Israeli policy, uh, no matter what it is, no matter how atrocious well, it is. Well, for the right, it has nothing to do with Jewishness. It has to do with strategic military um, partnership. That and, that and that's like what, you know, you, you probably know more than a lot of people. It's like, yeah, we like Israel because guess what? If we go to war with A, B, and C, they're going to fight with us. And that's sick, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, it's like that's no better than your partner that's a cop, beats the shit out of a black boy, shoots him, and you don't report him. You don't call him out on it. It's That's the parallel to me. It's so similar to policing in America where we turn, blind, we turn our blind eye because they're one of us, right? They're just as bad as we are in terms of like, aggression now i will say i don't think it's i don't think it's like a secret that there are plenty of neighbors of israel that would love to wipe them out of course i think if if iran could take them out i think it would i mean they're, they're, it's an unstable part of the world partly because of us um, and there's a long history there, which I don't know enough about. But, like, I don't think, like, you know, if Israel just opened up their borders to everybody and just, like, didn't care anymore, I don't – I think there would be some unrest. <laughs> um, it's it's a really deep ideology over there. And, like, you're talking about Muslims and Jews. These are these are people who religion – it's not like here in America where our religious people are so such frauds. I mean, there's, there's your hypocritical religious people everywhere. But, like, come on, dude. Religion is like the core of their societies and they are clashing and that's a big problem. I mean, it's, it's part of why I'm done with religion too. It's I, like, I, I would say, and this is just like the historical stuff that I think sheds light on this a little bit Yeah. with regard to the religious affiliation is that what happens in the 20th century is that religion gets highly politicized because for centuries muslims christians and jews in that region lived together peaceably most right. more peace, more peaceably than not wow. um and and they weren't sort of mobilized um uh by uh, religious furor um when they did fight often it was more about land and you know resources stuff like that the sort of the, the sort That's of classic pre world the classic war II. stuff 
Uh, even pre-World War One, right? The, in the late 19th century, you start getting some sort of um, Ottoman policies that are that are uh, ethnically based, and they were want to make the sort of Ottoman Empire more Turkic, mm-hmm. um, and then they, you know. They identify Armenians and Assyrians as, as various sort of, uh, they get produced as minorities in this case, mm-hmm. whereas before they were just seen as Ottoman subjects. Um, and, and so you start getting that. That kind of view of um, that there should be ethno, and in this case, ethno-religious homogeneity in a given territory Come, becomes popular in like the 1910s and the 1920s and then governs um, a lot of the management of those states. And at that time, those are sort of colonial holdings um, by the British and the French. And so they're trying to like, this, this is the interesting thing, I think, is that even before you get Israel in 48, there's already a plan afoot from, from the, this thing called the Balfour Declaration, which where the British government says that, hey, we're going to back what they call um, a Jewish national home in Palestine after World War One, and and what they set up there is the British Palestine Mandate, and in the laws there of the the Charter of the Mandate, it says that only Jews can set up a political representation in a military, and at that point when they take over, Jews are something like ten to fifteen percent of the entire population, right? So it's it's majority. Uh, Arab, Muslim, and Christian. Um, also, six million of them, at least, were wiped out. No, no. This, this is, is after pre- World War One. This is after okay, World okay, War One, okay. right? So, so this is what this is my point is that this is way before that there was already um, the Zionist movement. It wasn't like oh, you know, the Holocaust happened, mm-hmm. and then oh my God, we have to have Israel. God. It was already. Uh, a project, a, a, a colonial settler project to dispossess the Arabs of their land because the Zionist project had focused, it was going to be in Uganda, it was going to be in different places, and finally it became Palestine. Um, and they they were able um, to secure the, at that time, the greatest military um, uh, and political power in the world, which was the British Empire, as a patron. Right. Um, and now they've done it again, you know, with, with the Americans. Right. And so so um, the the vision here is is at least a century old, if not longer. And um, what I think is kind of interesting and you, know, you sort of we were talking about the, the, the media representations is that Israel has been very strategic in doing two things. One is, as you pointed out, to. Uh, make critique of Israeli policy and the Zionist movement tantamount to anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. right? So that's one. And the other strategy is to do two things with the Palestinian people. One is to say they probably don't even exist. And two, if they do exist, they're terrorists, right? So that uh, any sort of sympathy um, with Palestinian activity, political or military, whatever, um, is automatically your pro-terrorist, right? So that paints, you know, everyone into a corner, and and that's why you get these, you know, completely ridiculous uh, headlines of Arab and Jewish clashes in Gaza. Meanwhile, there's kids throwing stones and uh, American uh, 
donated F-16s dropping bombs, taking down 13-story buildings. And that, there's an equivalence there, right? So, you know, it's, it's a frustrating um, uh, set of media and political arrangements that go back, you know, there's a sort of century-long sort of consolidation of both the arms of speech and arms themselves <laughs> that the Israelis have. Um, and that's what the Palestinians are up against, right? I mean, that, and, and what's, I think, amazing uh, is that they're still resilient, <laughs> that, 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 there's, that there's still this sort of solidarity, and this might well be the third intifada. Yeah, that's actually really fascinating. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, you know, I, I will say just, you know, to not make it, well, at least where I come into this is, let's call it post-World War II. That's like where I can pick up. Um, and we have to admit, we have to recognize the anti-Semitic behavior, the anti-Semitic, um, um, what do you call it? behaviors by multiple countries including here you know like it's not it's this is not just a made-up thing by israel like people hate jews like it's i've seen it i've been around it um i think it's real i think after hitler tried to wipe them out it does i think do something to a people right like i think the aggressiveness of the israelis and jews is completely i i can, i get it like i understand it if people came and tried to wipe out the italians like you know, there was a world war fought to save Italians, I would probably be aggressively pro-Italy. Um, so, like, I get all that. And I think somehow it's the same way in our country, right, where we still we still don't have a, how do I put it, like, how do we expect the Palestinian and the Jews to come to peace where in this country we fought a civil war and, like, we have two major uh, ideologies in our own country where we're not bombing each other technically, but like we can't even agree on anything in this country. And this is nothing, not even close as complicated as what's going on over there. So I, I don't know what I'm, I, I guess my point is like, okay, so what's the answer, right? Like we can criticize all day. I, I see both sides. I'm in this specific thing we're talking about right now. I think the Israeli government is out of control and I am, I feel terrible for the Palestinians. I thought for a little while there, there was some, there was some peace, right? There's no bombings. I mean, there's always like on the border, there's always some, um, aggression, right? There's always a possibility, but like, this reminds me of the nineties when I was younger. And I remember like buses being blown up in Israel. Like this is, this is what it feels like. And it's like, how the fuck are we taking a step back, dude? Like, wh what is going on? I mean, obviously, probably social media and and being able to pump people full of fake bullshit. But I don't know. It just seems slightly like defeating that this is happening. And it's like, weren't we kind of right there, guys? I, I again, I think so. Two things, um, or three things. So, with regard to the Holocaust, the Holocaust is the sort of origin story of the state of Israel, right? Yes. That, that, that's its sort of uh, memory place, and there's a reason for that, and that's true. And murderous anti-Semitism is a longstanding European tradition mm -hmm. going back thousands of years. Um, and anti-Semitism, we can just stay, say from the beginning, is probably uh, the oldest hatred equal to that right. of the hatred of women, 
right? So that that uh, misogyny and anti-Semitism are two of the oldest hatreds, right? So let's let's start the with oldest that hatreds. Yeah. Wow. So, Isn't so that let's, crazy? Yeah. So let's let's start with that that yeah. premise, right? A sort of organized hatred, not just like sort of random, but like yeah. an ideology around it. Right? Sure, it's um, a great way to say it. You know, so so that's 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 all absolutely true, uh, demonstrable, and there's a long bloody history that can sort of reveal that. That's true. Um, the it even if we're going to sort of take the forty-eight moment, right? So that post-Holocaust. Um, the birth of the state of Israel, et cetera, right? And, and um, there is absolutely a very plausible argument that after World War II, when the, when the surviving remnant of Jews were trying to go back to their homes in, in Europe, they were repelled by those communities that still had a virulent anti-Semitism and sure. indeed even after the war were killing Jews, yeah. right? So, so there's that, right? For the, from the Palestinian perspective, how does it come to be that in the heart of Europe, in France, in Germany, in Austria, um, in the Czech Republic, uh, in Ukraine, in Poland, uh, in Italy as well, that basically the heart of Europe, the so-called you know, leading edge of civilization. These are the people who killed their own Jews. How does it come to be that then Palestinians have to pay the price of their land for a European crime? Right. So that's the sort of the, the, the argument right from the beginning. Why is it? Why, why? Why aren't they carving out a piece of Germany and giving it to and then sort of protecting that and letting them build an iron wall there? Why? Why is it uh, that it must be this land? Uh, that has been inhabited for 700, 1200 years by, you know, Palestinian Arabs, Christians and Jews, but mostly Christians and, and Muslims. Um, uh, why is that the case? Right. Um, and that's where, you know, <laughs> you just hate to do it. You got to go back to British imperial power and, right, and, right. and they're sort of horse trading with the, the British kind of imperial power. everything up. They, they uh, in, in many ways, right. In many ways, this is just true. Um, and, so, so that's one thing, right? So I think that the context is important here, um, that even though there is this crime against humanity that is the Holocaust, how does it necessarily follow that Palestinians must pay for that crime? Like I that's, understand. That's yes. one. That's right. one, right? Yes. Great point. Uh, you know, and, and it then... It seems like it's being taken out on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. it's, it's just like, look, we're, this happened to us. We're going to take your home. Right. So that's that's the, the the argument being made. Right. And and, and that is somehow justice. Um, so that's it's a very I think I would argue that's a very mangled form of justice. Um, so the this this the second um, thing that we can sort of think about is that the the Palestinian sort of perspective has until very recently um, either been neglected or actually actively perverted um, by the important precincts of the global press. Let's call it that. New York Times, Guardian, all, all those sort of the, the, the big sort of agenda setting media outlets. Yeah. Um, they've, they've really um, not given 
a uh, a good faith um, uh, reading of of what's going on on the ground there. Um, it's been it's been very imbalanced, just like the, uh, the, the 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 way the power is distributed over there. So it's in that sense, it's a it's a very good reflection of the power dynamics of of of, of this conflict. Um, and and then lastly, in terms of the sort of question of violence, you'd sort of mentioned that. You know, there seemed to be like an in- interregnum of, you know, peace, right? Or relative peace as such that we could hope for in the region. Mm-hmm. I think the impression of that is actually a product of the misreporting of the region. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go back, and Al Jazeera has done a study on this, that from the past 20 years, 3,000 Palestinian children have been killed um, by the Israeli Defense Forces in the past 20 years. Um, and that goes, that when you break that down, it's basically every three days a Palestinian kid is killed by the IDF for the past 20 years. Um, and since we give about three to four billion dollars a year for Israeli uh, in mil- military grants, um, and they, Israel is the number one recipient of American uh, military aid. We have been funding the killing of Palestinian kids every three days for the past 20 years. Yes. Um, so, you know, now we have like this sort of spectacular moment and it is important. Um, but I think the fact that the, the very impression that things are not so bad there um, is one that's cultivated. Right. Because that's the nature of the occupation. How, do, how does the occupation drag on? It's in its, you know, fifth day, de- midway through its fifth decade. So right? you're saying my my uh, view that it's been somewhat peaceful is flawed. Well, it's it's cultivated. Right. That's the impression that, you know, I think important quarters of the press and certainly the Israeli government, which has an entire arm called Hasbara, which is basically their propaganda arm that tries to sort of promote these views in the world. Um, literally people sitting on Facebook and like writing back and stuff like that. They have, they have like, you know, armies of these people who do this. Um, that um, That is a view that makes all the sense in the world that you would have that view because that's precisely the view that is being cultivated by... Um, um, a, a, a certain lobby that is that is adamantly, categorically, no matter what, pro-Israel, no matter what it does, right? We, we, we're going to bomb a building and, and kill an entire family. Yes, justified, no matter what, right? Um, so I think that's, I mean, that's the, the, the situation. And, and I'm, I'm just, you know, kind of in awe of the remarkable resilience of the Palestinian people when they're yeah. up. You know, this is the reversal of David and Goliath, right? You know, David has become Goliath. And I think then, it's just life for them at this point. I mean, I think it's been long enough where there's a, a, a whole new generation that doesn't know any anything but this, right? It's survival. Um, I, I just like, you know, when kids are being killed, we have a problem when kids are in cages. We have a problem, right? Like, can't we all just agree on that? I yeah. mean, if two grown men want to be dumbasses and kill each other, we can we can kind of dissect it and figure out the cause of it. But when children are being, you know, massacred or even our own country, like just tortured, how are we not all outraged? Both sides. It's just like I don't know. 
where do you like i'm sounding like an anarchist <laughs> it's like where where do yeah. we go i mean if, if we can't agree that children shouldn't be killed or put in cages then i don't then i don't think we can agree on anything i don't know where to go from there yeah i yeah. don't know where to go no i mean that's that i mean i think and that's the sort of the terrible thing when people talk about this sort of you know the theater of politics is you know uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene chasing down AOC or whatever and yelling, you debate me about the Green New Deal. You know, like, like all this stuff is all such a distraction um, um, compared to what is the actual policy regime and its consequences um, in America and in the world, right? So, you know, and, and that, I mean, there's a reason for that is like, there's like, these bills that are passed are like thousands of pages long and there's all sorts of stuff buried in them that um, nobody reports on quite frankly right right people report on the theater of politics they don't actually report on the politics like the, you know the actual policy and the policy is for the right and the left is that you have to back Israel no matter what it does no matter if the regime is Bibi Netanyahu or Baby. You know, yeah, or, or, you know, or, or whoever, you know, a, 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 a left uh, uh, PM, which never really existed in, in Israel. Um, and, you know, you just sort of unabashedly back that policy. And you pointed out earlier is that this is this and, and, and this is something that you're, you're sort of echoing what Rashid Khalidi said when he came on, which is that Israel for America is a domestic political issue. Mm -hmm. It actually has nothing to do with actual foreign policy 100%. it is how the poli you know and and really it's a competition for how much fealty to israel do you have right how much well, well it is and it also but it is also it is also foreign because we are we have our hands in a lot of horrible shit around the world and yeah but most people don't know about that most people no, no. don't care you know like that no, it, I just it, israel becomes a barometer yeah, yeah, but strategically, as a politician, if you're if you're trying to run for the big one, if you're trying to be a senator or, con or congress or president or whatever, you still also need to take that into account. So that's also the uh, hush of of many politicians. I mean, dude, I, I don't want to get we we don't have time to get into this, but Andrew Yang, look at him. Look, Boy, is he taking a nosedive? Wait, but that shows you what you said, which is in this country, kind of cats out of the bag. You thought you know, twenty years ago, you'd have been praised for that. But now it's kind of like, eh, slightly insensitive. We're getting pictures of dead babies. But that's social media. That's the good side of social media. Like, it's most of it's bad, but that's the good side, is that you make an asinine comment like that for political gain, and it backfires. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of, of the instant uh, repercussion of social media. Well, I mean, this, I mean, but it's also like the sign of the times, right, is that yeah. um, you've got down to a local race. I mean, it's a big race. It's New York City is not just local. It's you know, one of the most important cities. But you're in the not world. dealing with foreign but, policy. Yeah, Shut but up. but you but here problem. but but here's the thing: the, the domestic political issue. What's your position on Israel? Because mm. that somehow is supposed to <laughs> tell you something about what kind him. of mayor you're going to do and and what you know transportation policy. Nobody asked you know? him. Yeah. Well, he's trying to cultivate that Jewish block of the vote, do. right? We know and what he's the, trying to do, particularly the Orthodox Jews in Brooklyn. That vote is a block. Um, and then he was one-upped by Eric Adams, who showed even more fealty um, by also saying, let's celebrate Jerusalem Day and so on. Um, and, and so, and this is in true blue New York City, right? Yeah. This, is, this is not, you know, this is the bluest of the blue. 
um, and and this is their position, right? One-upping backing of Israel as it strafes Gaza, um, and and I think that is a really sort of a, an indictment of the entire political class, right? That if if this is what left New York City is doing. Uh, I mean, it's unimaginable um, what, like, you know, Little Rock, Arkansas, <laughs> you know, people are saying o- over over there. Um, so anyway, I, in terms of like the what is to be done, I mean, I think it's it's pretty clear that it. This is the thing is that I think there's this myth that well, you know, what do you do here? You know, like that we don't know. Actually, we've got all the knowledge. We've got a ton of knowledge about this. This is a very well covered, studied problem. There's all sorts of things that one can do. You can maybe start by not having racist laws, right? Which is has been the spark in East Jerusalem. You know, for those who maybe who haven't followed this, the reason the spark was that there's a number of uh, Palestinian families who own property or renting property rather um, in um, uh, and renting and owning. There's a mixture there um, in this neighborhood in East Jerusalem, um, which has been you know. Uh, sort of imagined to be a future capital of of Palestine in the two-state solution, which is all mythical, but whatever. Um, there's a law that was passed by the state of Israel that said that pre-48, if there was Jewish property owned pre-48, and if you're a Jew, you can go back and get that property. Pre-48, if you're an Arab and a Muslim and a Christian, if you had property, you cannot. Right, so an openly discriminatory land grab, right? Um, and this is sort of, this is the, these, it's not eviction, right? This is not eviction, like they didn't pay their rent, right? This is, this is, this is not what's going on. Um, calling it an eviction uh, minimizes, this is dispossession of people based on a racist legal regime. Um, and, and so that, um, you know, maybe start not doing that. You know, like, like, like in terms of the what is to be done, you know, like don't don't have racist laws, don't have right. um, ease up on your military occupation where you're killing a kid every third day. Um, you know, um, allow for greater mobility of Palestinians who you depend on for cheap labor in the first place. They're building all the stuff in Israel. Right. So um, there's so many things. There's so many um, fixes to at least the everyday suffering. Um, that is possible. And so there's, I think there's a kind of a myth that, oh, throw your hands up. It's such a complicated Gordian knot over there in the Middle East, and particularly with this problem. It's so complicated that we can't do anything but just support Israel, right? And, and that's, you know, and then the occupation rolls on. So I think it's, there you, go. you know, the courage just, to confront it. fix it all. Well, you know, <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, you got to have the courage to confront the problem. It's yeah, like, we know what the problem is. Complicated, complicated, uh, but really quite hard to watch. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Well, the, the Israeli government are the Americans of the Middle East. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah. really what they are. It's, it's this is. By the way, they're literally using F sixteen. So yeah. You know. <laughs> if anybody has a tough time watching this, this is kind of like what Canadians look at when they look at us. It feels the same. Like what? Are, I don't get this. What's why? Are, why are we? Why are they killing each other? Anyway, All right. well, we'll continue this conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I do think we should get into you know the the New York mayoral race yeah. coming up. I yeah, love absolutely. To dig absolutely. into that one because my I've gone up and down with different candidates. I've jumped off trains and on the others, and I yeah. think I've identified who I like. Okay. All right. I'm going to be interested to hear should, that. We should talk about that next time. We'll, we'll start it by just saying who we're supporting. Yeah. Okay. And then we'll end it with you convincing me I'm wrong or right. Absolutely. That's what's going to happen. Um, all right. Well, sorry to ruin your day with this topic, but <laughs> it's got to be done. No one yeah. else seems to be doing it properly. Uh, but, man, good, um, good historical little nuggets in there. Yeah. I mean, there's that, a lot. There's I a lot I, know. I left out. But, but – uh, you know, there's I, I'm just going to pitch this book again. Um, Rashid's book, Rashid Khalidi's book, 100 Years War in Palestine. Um, for those who are uninitiated in this topic, it's such a great book because it's also so personally told because it's also the story of his family and their increased dispossession over time. Um, and he also happens to be the greatest living historian of Palestine today. Um, so, there you, um, go. you know, it's solid. Go on our website and you can actually see the book and yep. uh, order it. So, yeah, um, guys, newsletters coming out. Um, please share that with your friends. It's a great newsletter. Um, it does 99.9% .9 of all the work on there. And then I don't do anything. Um, and he works really hard at it. So, you know, it's a really good newsletter. And we appreciate if you shared it around and share the website around. Um, no Politics at the Dinner Table is produced by Amit Bakash. Tunes by G. Baderoy. Um, and we will be back next week. See you next week.